Hello, 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 and welcome back to the English. That's not it, is it? <laughs> welcome back to the Clark and Miller English podcast. And if this is your first time listening, then just welcome, 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 welcome. No backs here, not for you. Next time. So,、uh, yeah, today we've got what、uh, I like to call a hot take. It's not my term; other people use it, including my favorite podcaster.、Uh, he's very fond of that. But、um, a hot take. So this is basically、um, an interesting,、uh, sort of creative. Uh, idea about language in this case, and about tenses, and about verbs, and about time, and about lack of time. All of this and more、uh, in the coming minutes. But、um, before we get started, I just want to read an email I got from uh, Chris. Um, judging by his email address, I'm going to guess that he's from Hungary or Poland.、Um, I'm very sorry, Chris, if it's neither. My apologies. Um, so, I'm just going to read the email because it was very nice, and it was based. It was all about、uh, podcast episode twenty,、um, which was what should I read in English? A few podcasts,、uh, a few episodes back, and this is what Chris wrote. He wrote, "Hi Gabriel, yeah, good start. I thought so too. Hi Gabriel, my name is Chris, and I discovered your website and podcast two weeks ago." I was looking for interesting sources to improve my English skills. Your website and your drawings, especially, are really helpful. Ah, thanks, Chris. I listened to the episode twenty. What should I read in English? Where you asked for the emails about books that help in learning. I want to share with you one of them. It is classic, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Yeah, good book, Chris. I really like that book.、Um, oh no, I haven't read it, have I? I've just seen the film. Oh dear, shameful. Um, if the book's as good as the film, which I'm sure it is, even better, then yes, good choice.、Uh, Chris continues. Why did I choose this one? That is a funny story. My son is 11 and goes to school. This Mark Twain story is my son's set book in school. We were reading it at the same time, but he did it in his mother tongue and I in English. It was funny to read the same stories, but with little differences because of the translation. Thank you for your awesome podcast and this task, which reminds me of a funny time with my son, Chris. I like that a lot.、Um, it's really interesting. I, I wanted to read that because now I'm really curious what the differences are and how the translation can can change it, and how a language and which language you're using can actually possibly change. Facts and events in the story. This is related to today's podcast too. We we see the same thing going on, and the way we use different tenses can change the reality or not, as we will see. So yeah, Chris, thanks very much for sending that email. I did reply to you and asking you about the differences in the translation. So、um, yeah, if if I hear back, I might even、uh, share them in the next podcast episode because it's kind of cool and interesting. Um, thanks a lot, Chris. Anyway, in the meantime,、uh, on with the podcast.、Uh, I will keep you waiting no more. Today, we're going to talk about different ways of looking at English verbs and times, and we're going to talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, of course. What else were we going to talk about? Really? Okay, cool. Enjoy it. Right. Well, first of all, I want to share something. Not that special, but share something with you.、Um, you may、uh, have noticed that、uh, I sound a little different 
today. And that's because I've uh, put uh, loads of blankets on some step ladders and ironing boards and clothes horses. And I've sort of surrounded myself with these blankets. It's kind of nice. It feels like I'm in some sort of like, you know, when you're a kid and you, you make a sort of um, little camp or a little like secret den out of like blankets and cushions and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, um, I just wanted you to have a nice image of what's, what, where I am and where I'm sitting and, and, and my situation. And um, the reason I've done this isn't because I want to go back to being a kid or I, I haven't lost my mind or anything. At least I don't think so. Um, what what I've done here is um, put all these blankets up around me because I think it's going to help with the sound quality. Um, sometimes there's a bit of a sort of echo, a sort of harsh echo as my voice bounces off the uh, concrete. I think it's concrete walls um, in my house. So with these blankets around, hopefully we'll get a nice, softer, more intimate um, sound quality. So yeah, um, I hope it works out. If it sounds awful, do write in and, and tell me that it's a bad idea. But I think I think this is a good idea. But yeah, anyway, on with the recording. So the recording, <laughs> the podcast. So from this little, little recording cave uh, today, uh, I want to talk a little bit about one of my favorite topics and not a very fashionable topic at the moment, grammar. Um, I do like talking about grammar. And I think the good thing about grammar, there, there are lots and lots of different ways of looking at grammar. Um, and I want to explore, like, one of those ways today. Uh, I guess, like, essentially there are sort of traditional ways of looking at grammar and less traditional ways of looking at grammar. Tradition, um, like, in linguistics, there are, there are sort of three phases of, of grammar, ways of looking at grammar. You have traditional grammar for, excuse me that's my phone traditional grammar formal grammar and functional grammar and um, as time has gone on with language we've been looking more and more at grammar from a functional point of view so we're not looking at you know the tenses anymore so yeah so a lot of people we'll, we'll come back to that we'll come back to that in a minute because Still, to this day, despite the fact that we've we've changed our perspective on grammar, like a hundred years ago, we started changing our perspective on grammar. Still, to this day, a lot of people, a lot of schools, a lot of students, a lot of teachers um, look at teaching English and learning English from this very traditional point of view. Um, this idea that grammar is kind of just a system and we just have to learn it. And then when we learn it, we speak the language. And I know lots of people are saying the same thing as I'm saying now. And it's very important, I think. And that's why a lot of people are saying it. Because grammar is, is more than just a mathematical, scientific thing. Approaching language in a mathematical, scientific way doesn't really work. It doesn't really help. It'll help you um, pass tests that are designed by other people who look at language in a mathematical and scientific way and that's it that's really it um it has its uses don't get me wrong i'm not rejecting it but it's there's so much more to language um i think when i think of this approach this way of looking at language in such a mathematical and scientific way um i think about um facebook memes 
I don't know about you. I'm I'm a member of a lot of learning English Facebook groups and and teaching English Facebook groups too. And so many of them have these sorts of um tiny mini quizzes like uh um uh yesterday I took take am taking the dog for a walk for example. Um and you have to choose the correct answer. The thing is about this example the, they're all possible. So um that's not a very useful activity. Another one I see a lot of is uh, change the sentence to the passive. Um, I'm drinking a, gu- a cup of water. Now, if you really think about this, I'm drinking a cup of water, change it to the passive. A cup of water is being drunk by me. Technically, this is, this is true. But who in the world, in the history of the world, has ever said a sentence like a cup of water is being drunk by me? These memes, these little quizzes as funny as they are, don't really help us learn English because they encourage us to think about English in ways that people who speak English don't think about it. <laughs> um, so I wanted to use those examples as a kind of illustration of what I mean when I say like this traditional scientific mathematical approach. You can't just look at it from that point of view. There is way more going on. And I think today we're, we're going to look at uh, a sort of a new, uh, yeah, I guess it's new because I can't kind of thought of it. Maybe somebody else has thought of it too, but let's call it new, a new way of looking at grammar and language and um, how we can perceive the different tenses, the grammar tenses um, from a sort of different way. We, we can reorganize them in a different way. Um, yeah, um, because, you know, at the moment we have this past tense, present tense, future tense sort of mindset, don't we? And, you know, we, we, is this a past tense? Okay, we use it to talk about the past. This is a present tense. We use it to talk about the present. Uh, this is a future tense, which doesn't exist, by the way. Um, we use it to talk about the future. Well, that's actually not really true at all. Um, um, the Tenses are not the root of of meaning in terms of when things are. Uh, we can talk about the past using the present, for example, uh, especially when we're t- telling stories. For example, uh, last week was crazy. I'll tell you what happened. We're, si- we're sitting around the campfire and all of a sudden Barry's mattress explodes while he's sitting on it. You know, this is just a, a story, but we, we like to tell the stories in the present. Um, we can also talk about the present using the past uh, with things like, what was your name again? Or, oh, I wish I had more time. Um, and we always talk about the future using present tenses. Uh, this is something I'm going to talk about a little later in this episode. Um, I, love talking about, I love talking about the future, or I love talking about talking about the future. The future is such a fascinating um, uh, concept in English. And the way we talk about the future reveals a lot about how we, we're feeling. Again, this is going to come up. I'm going to talk about that in more detail later. Um, Yes, so tenses do not create meaning in the sense of time. They don't necessarily create time meaning, although they can. Um, But they do do something else as well, something very useful. They give you a perspective of where you're at. They show what you're thinking and how you're thinking and what your attitude is towards something. 
Um, so tenses alone don't necessarily create meaning in terms of time. Context is where that meaning comes. We understand that my story about Barry and his mattress exploding at the campfire did in fact take place in the past because I established that this happened last week. The context does it. Uh, what was your name again? A social context. Being there with a pen and paper asking someone <laughs> clearly that you're ask- showing that you're asking somebody what that you want them to tell you your name. Um, that context creates the meaning that you're not talking about the past. Um, so, yeah, tenses are useful. And, of course, we do use them to identify the past and the present and the future sometimes. It's true. Uh, but they do do more. They provide different ways of looking at things. And sometimes they provide different ways of looking at the same thing. Again, we're going to look at some examples later. Um, yes, and they help us be really clear about time if we need it too. They, they serve many purposes. Um, classic past tense, present tense, future tense distinctions are not always useful. Um, again, they can be. I'm not rejecting them. Um, in fact, I've got a blog post in uh, on the Clark and Miller uh, blog uh, covering tenses in this from this point of view, and it was quite successful. People liked it because you know it is useful to think about tenses in past and present and future. Um, but also, I've uh, in episode six of this podcast and in a blog post on the Clark and Miller blog. I also talk about um, Michael Lewis's uh, ideas about uh, tenses and what they really mean. Uh, There's a a podcast episode six called The English Verb. If you haven't listened to that, check it out. It's quite interesting. New perspectives on how verbs work. And some of that is going to uh, work its way into this episode too. But yes, I want today, what I want to do is divide the traditional tenses... Uh, past, continuous, present, simple, etc. Um, and take a look at, that, look at them in slightly different ways. Go, we're going to reorganize them. Um, so before we start doing that, I want to ask you a, a very simple question. Have you seen the film or read the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? The Roald Dahl book. Um, I've read the book. I've seen both films. If you're going to watch one of those films, watch the old one from the 70s. Much better, but also very terrifying. I can't believe that was for kids. I was so scared of that film when I was a kid. Um, Children die regularly in it. It was quite dark. But um, yeah, it's a a pretty good film. Um, And there's one part in the film. I don't know if you know the book or the film and what it's about, but... Basically, Charlie and his grandfather visit a chocolate factory, and it's a magical chocolate chocolate factory, and other kids are with them. And one by one, each of the kids basically gets killed by the factory somehow because the kids are being greedy or selfish or um, doing something bad. They're being naughty, and they get punished by the factory. And um, there's one part when this almost actually almost happens to Charlie and his granddad. Um, and they, they're drinking this sort of uh, soda. It's like a soda pop, like a, a cola or something like that. But, of course, being the magic chocolate factory, this soda is uh, is also magic. So when they start drinking it, 
they start floating, you know, kind of flying. And um, it's, it's quite fun at the beginning. They're, they're sort of floating up and up and up as they're drinking more and more soda. And they're like, wow, we can fly. This is amazing. And um, but then suddenly they realize that they're, they're in this kind of long tunnel going upwards. And the higher they get, the nearer the top of this tunnel uh, they're getting to. And uh, at the top, there's a big fan spinning. So obviously, if they keep floating, if they keep going up, they're going to get like ripped to shreds by this this fan. It's going to be the end of the story and the end of Charlie and his granddad. Um, so how do they get out of it? This is a spoiler alert. Um, well, they get out of it by burping. They realize the soda is making them float and uh, they just start burping. Uh, burping, by the way, is when you let out uh, gas through your mouth, um, especially happens after you've drunk a lot of soda. And the more they burp, like the more they start going down and they just start burping. And then finally they've burped enough and their feet are back on the ground and they're no longer floating in the air towards a moving fan, uh, which is good because then they don't die. And the story continues. And we get to see more kids being killed by the factory. Uh, yeah, so... Um, now, in order for this metaphor to work... Well, okay, so, so far we've got two things happening, right? We've got Charlie and his granddad floating in the air, not really connected to anything at all, right? They're just floating in the air, unconnected. Uh, and then the second uh, state they're in is them being back firmly on the ground they know which way is up down left and right they have a, a good solid understanding everything is identifiable everything is is where it should be a good sense of orientation now in order for this metaphor to work we actually need a third part which isn't in the book or the film and that's for uh, charlie and his grandpa to have learned a lesson and changed something about themselves, um, some sort of character change. And perhaps there's a little bit of that, but not really. They're, they're just a bit like, oh, yeah, we, we shouldn't have done that, huh? Maybe we shouldn't have drunk that soda. The guy said, don't drink the soda, and we drank the soda. Never mind. Okay, we won't do that again. A little lesson learned, but nothing big. But anyway, let's imagine the third state is a sort of learning about themselves, self-reflection, something like that. So we've got these three categories. Let's, um, let's uh, recap them again. Floating meaninglessly in the air. Second, feet on the ground, solid, you know where you are after the burping. And finally, looking inwards and uh, sort of reflecting on your own feelings and your own thoughts. Now, we're going to divide, in case you hadn't guessed, we're going to divide uh, the English tenses, traditional uh, tenses, past, future, present, modal verbs. We're going to uh, divide these into these three states. Uh, so let's start with the first one. Remember, the first one is floating around, not connected to anything quite meaninglessly floating around. So this is when you are, from a grammatical point of view, outside time. This is a timeless thing. You are not connected to anything in the past, present or future. It's just, just 
it's just a verb. It's just something happening. But there's no time frame. It's it's outside time. And this is what um, Michael Lewis calls the base form of the verb. Um, I guess the best way of describing this is calling it the present simple. But it's not just the present simple where we see the base form of the verb. So what, what, what I mean by base form of the verb is sometimes called the infinitive or the bare infinitive. And it's just the verb without anything attached to it. So do, make, sing, broadcast, uh, procrastinate, you know, not doing, making, singing, broadcasting or procrastinating or did, made, sang, broadcast or procrastinated. It's just the pure form of the verb. And we usually see this uh, in the present simple tense. I wouldn't say usually, I'd say we often see it, maybe not even 50% of the time we use it. But we, we do often see it in this present simple tense. And the present simple, you know, like, um, I like cats, I like cats. Uh, this present simple tense, this isn't, this is a really misleading name really misleading the present simple because there's not really anything presenty about this at all um it's about no time or all time it's it's outside time in the way that charlie and grandpa are just floating away from the ground away from the uh, ground away from stability outside time just no measurable relationship to anything it's just there um, wood floats on water. I like cats. Um, yeah, this is not uh, a present thing at all. This is either happening all the time or regularly, um, but it's not specifically present at all. Um, but we do use it a lot and it's very useful. So, you know, a classic example from from textbooks and school and stuff is when... You say, oh, I, I work, I go to work at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, boring example, but it's familiar, right? And um, yeah, this is something that happens regularly and all the time. It's outside time. It's not pinned down to a particular point in time. Uh, other examples, uh, you don't get to go out. You don't get to go out. You can't, it means you're not allowed to go out. Um uh, so, yeah, we can use it to make things feel universal and uh, so on. Um, also, as I mentioned, uh, telling stories. Like, in the story, she meets at least four vampires and an accountant. Um, and also we use it for the future, which I am going to talk about later. Um, we leave at dawn tomorrow. Um, this is uh, for something that's very, 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 very sure. It's a very certain future, probably scheduled future. But yeah, so we don't, it's nothing presenty about it at all. If anything, it's outside time, even though, as I mentioned, we do use it for the future sometimes. Um, but this isn't the only time we use this base form. Um, the do, make, sing, broadcast, procrastinate, no ED, no ING, nothing like that. Um, we use it with imperatives as well. So, uh, come on, or get out, or hey, look out, or come here will you um so all of these orders these imperatives there's no grammar going on really here is there there's no time uh they're just orders they're telling people what to do and again that doesn't really have a time 
associated. When you tell someone what to do, sure, ideally it happens now, but that you're not saying that uh, with this with this form. Uh, another one, I remember when I was uh, my early teaching days, when I was a young teacher living in Istanbul. And, you know, when I started teaching, I was learning about language at a very, very fast rate because, you know, I was started suddenly having to explain things all the time to my students. So I, I was thinking about language all the time. And one day I was just asking myself, okay, we've got verbs, we've got nouns, we've got adjectives, we've got adverbs got prepositions articles you know I, I kind of knew more or less every everything I could identify a word and put it into the right category quite easily and then I just thought oh yeah what about hello is that a verb is that a noun is that an adjective is that an adverb I had no idea it drove me crazy um and you know what in a way I still don't know I think it's actually technically an adverb um, but, you know, I don't care because it doesn't matter <laughs> what type of word it is. It's uh, the function is more important. Um, but the interesting thing is that this is kind of like um, these sort of base forms of the verb. Although they're technically not verbs, they feel like the same thing, don't they? They're, there's no kind of association, nothing connected to time with these. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Sorry. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of feel that these words, they're pleasantries, aren't they? Or being polite or sort of signals that we give uh, to people. And, um, yeah, these um, cheers, there's, a good, there's another good one. These are sort of dis disassociated with time. They're not connected to time. Um, and finally, another sort of thing we do, which is in this category, again, not really a verb, but I want it all to be in the same category because... Um, we don't just have to have verbs in this category, the floating towards the fan category. And that's grunts and back-channeling. Sometimes when we talk to each other, we don't even use words, especially if we're very familiar with the person we're talking to. Sometimes we just go, yeah, mm-hmm, ah, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, right, huh. You know, we just make sounds, mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I've got a, I've got a friend... Uh, of mine, um, one of one of my best friends of all time. Shout out to Matt, Mister Lemon. But um, he he has he has this, or at least he had this really annoying habit of making a sound that sounded like it could be a yes and it could be a no. Really, really perfect sound uh, that he used to make when I would ask him a yes or no question. So you know, Matt, are we are we leaving tomorrow? And he'd just say no. Something like that. I can't do it. He does it perfectly. But yeah, we make sounds like that all the time. And yeah, I could never tell if Matt was uh, saying yes or no. Um, but yeah. So, okay. So we're looking at the floating disassociated from reality. And we use it all the time with verbs, uh, with imperatives and present simple sentences, but also with grunts and sounds and pleasantries like hello, hi, sorry, thanks, cheers, that kind of thing. Yes, no. They're, they're also in that category. Floating in the big tunnel, not connected to anything. Now, the second state, uh, the second category that we, we outlined earlier, uh, if you'll remember, is when Charlie and Grandpa are safely back on the floor. They've burped their way out of the situation. They're on solid ground and they know where everything is now. They can reach anything they want now, except for the fan, but they don't want to reach that fan. Um, 
So this is the area closest to what we think of as a sort of grammar, traditional grammar. And I'm going to put most of the other tenses in this section. Um, like using the past tense. Yes, sure. We don't always use it for the to talk about the past, but we often do. And if we want to talk about the past and make that clear, yeah, we use the past tense. It's fine. Uh, solid ground. Um, present perfect tense. We want to talk about something that started in the past, is still continuing, um, may or may not continue into the future. Yeah, we have this tense for that. And it does that job, the present perfect tense. I've been sitting here as present perfect uh, continuous. I've been sitting here for 25 minutes now. Um, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. This is good. This is what we we want from grammar and, and things like that. Can you imagine how difficult learning a language would be without this stuff? Um, solid ground, continuous forms, future forms. Um, when we want to make sure someone understands we're talking about the past or the present or the future or something more complex like a period in time that happened that started before another one and so on you know we have this stuff and this is when it starts acting in a sort of scientific mechanical way um uh, it's fair to say that most of the time we use these tenses to do that uh, to, to indicate time uh, so in this world of pinned down, clear, identifiable, carved out grammar, there is actually only two tenses. You'll be very pleased to hear. And that's the past and the present, but not the present simple, which, as I mentioned before, is a wildly misleading name. It should be the no time or something like that. Um, the no time tense. Yeah, let's let's call it that now. OK, yeah, from now on, let's just call it the no time. I like that. So anyway, yeah, when we're looking at tenses that really mark time clearly, really we just have the past and the present. Um, we ha can have the present continuous, the present perfect, the present perfect continuous, past simple, past perfect, past perfect continuous, and future forms, which are all actually using the present. So there's no real future tense. Um, yeah, so we've got the past and the present, which are the tenses. And then we have like continuouses and perfects, like kind of subtly altering them. And those are actually called aspects, not tenses, if you're interested in that kind of thing. Uh, but it's not important. We don't have to know these words. All we need to know is that there is a past and there is a present. And those are the only things we use to mark time grammatically. Um, so, yeah, all these grammary tenses, they're firmly on the ground, like Charlie and Grandpa after burping a lot. And yeah, one of their main functions is what traditional grammar tells us. It tells us about when something happens, usually. Um, not all the time, as we saw in previous examples, and we will see again in a few examples later. But they don't always just tell you about time. Um, and also, interestingly, this one's quite cool. Changing tense doesn't always change the meaning. Like like we saw earlier, you can tell a story in the past simple, the present simple, the present continuous. Um, they're all possible. Um, but, you know, the story will always have happened in the past. Or maybe if it's made up story, it never happened at all. It's just, it's in the no time. Um, so, yeah, telling stories, when we, when we change, when we, 
choose a tense to tell a story, it kind of, uh, it doesn't change the meaning, but it changes how the story feels and how our, how we feel about the story. When we use the present, it feels more immediate. When we use the past, it feels more distant. Um, but it's still the same series of events. Um, also, you know, present perfect and present perfect continuous are quite an interesting combination of tenses. Let's say, um, I don't know, what's happening this week? Nothing's happening to me this week. My life is very boring. Uh, let's pretend something amazing is happening to me this week. What's happening to me? I'm building a time machine. No, I'm building a pair of time machine trousers. Yeah, that's it. I'm making some time machine trousers, the trousers that you put on and you can just fiddle with the belt. I guess it'll be in the belt and you can you can go back to uh, 1955 like Marty McFly did in Back to the Future. So yeah, I'm building uh, these um, time travel trousers. Now, at the moment, I'm using this tense I'm building, right? I'm making a present continuous. So when I'm saying that, I have this perception of my experience that I'm in the middle of something. Um, and, and this is basically expressing that I feel like there's still work to be done. There's still more to come. I'm in the middle of doing something. I'm in the middle of this long, long action. Um, but I could also just simply say, oh yeah, I've been building these time travel trousers. Now, this is the same situation. No facts have changed. Nothing, none of reality has changed. I didn't have to change my grammar because of changes in the real world. What I've done is just created a different perception of the real world. So when I say, when I use the present continuous, I'm building these time travel trousers, I'm saying I'm in the middle of this action. If I say I've been building these time travel trousers, I'm reflecting, I'm re looking back on it. I'm not expressing this feeling of being in the middle of everything. I'm expressing this feeling of looking back and going, oh, yeah, no, I've done a lot of work. Or maybe, oh, I've been so busy recently with these time travel trousers, I haven't been able to meet up with anybody and, 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 and have fun and socialize. Um, so, yeah, or, or maybe I'm thinking, oh, this has been taking such a long time. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, if you look at, tr tr like, grammar... And tenses from a traditional point of view, it seems that you only need, you have to choose the right tense for the right reality. But that's not true. You choose the right tense for how you feel and how you want to express something. Um, another example of this is um, present perfect and present perfect continuous. So <laughs> I did a blog post article on this uh, a while ago, and I was imagining an action um, from two points of view, imagine being imagine your action is is a heli is a is a forest is a, a yeah a forest a group of trees right and um, you want to perce you perceive the action as being completely finished um, you want to look at the action as a complete whole so you can say something like I've created some time travel trousers if you say I've created some time travel trousers you have this sort of complete feeling about it. And in my metaphor in the blog post, it's you're in a helicopter looking down at the forest and you can see the whole forest where it begins, where it ends. If you say, I've been creating these uh, time travel trousers, again, you're kind of in the middle of it. It's closer to that present continuous feeling. You, you, you're in the forest and um, 
you're looking back at where you've come um but you are still in the forest you don't really have a sh- an idea of the shape of the forest or when it's going to to end okay so these are all quite sort of elaborate examples but you know the, it, this is where language can be very revealing it can show how people are feeling and that's so cool isn't it you know the, that we can really understand how people are thinking and what people want to say to you by the way they describe a fact and the way and which tense they choose um let's look at a few more examples uh, one of my favorite um things to talk about to people who aren't really into language um is uh, the future i mentioned this to larry weinstein um who i interviewed a few episodes uh, back um but yeah i i like talking about this one it's about the future so there is no future tense in english we don't have you know we have ed or some irregular forms to form the past but we don't really have a future tense so what, what how do we express the future well most people think of will when they um when they they think of what the future is and yeah but that's probably not really the most common way of talking about the future at all um i have a lot of like hot takes on will as well i i argue that will is more like a present word it's like i have the will to do something it's like i want um um it's about something potential um but yeah the more real we want to make something uh, in the future the more um yeah the more real we want our future to be the closer and closer to the present we get so um going to is an as a classic future and you know if you say i'm going to meet um drago next week for a drink uh that's going to meet that's future it's it's a present tense isn't it going to meet um means kind of you could translate it as on the way to meeting uh him in terms of time if i want to make that a little more certain if i want to express the fact that these plans are very very solid and very real and less likely to change i can say i'm meeting drago next week again we we get even closer to the present um the more real and more um unchangeable uh the future we want the future to be and finally um we can go out of time for this and we say i meet drago next week and as we talked about earlier that is just um using the present simple the no time tense um to express something that is definitely going to happen it's it's um it's it's probably even scheduled so again all of these are the same actions me and drago sitting somewhere and hanging out and talking about music probably i talk about music a lot with him um so yeah uh, these are all the same actions they're just different ways of expressing them and in this case mostly about how certain they are um but yeah in all these examples we can change the perspective of something that's real based on the using by using the tense and by selecting a tense we don't change the reality we're not changing the tense because reality is changing we're just changing our perception okay so that's it that's charlie and uh, granddad like on the ground in a very certain territory and it's such certain territory that you can really manipulate it and i think this is really important for students and teachers to know that you know we we don't just have this functional system 
we also have this sort of social side of it. We can manipulate it to our own desires. Um, finally, let's look at the third state, looking inward, reflection. Now, I say looking inward and reflection. It's more about kind of putting a personal angle on everything. And this is when modal verbs come in. What's a modal verb? Well, good question. A modal verb um, are those sort of, they're like verbs, but they're not exactly like verbs. Um, I'll just give you a, a, an example of all the modal, modal verbs I can think of in the next few seconds. Will, must, may, might, could, should, would. Will, I said will, didn't I? Um, I'm missing something. I know I'm missing something common. Anyway, you know these words, will, won't, should, shouldn't, may, might, uh, could, couldn't, can, can't. Um, these are modal verbs. And when we express ourselves using modals, we're kind of making it about us. We're giving a personal angle. We're making something more subjective and less objective. We're saying this is how I see it not necessarily the reality. This is just, we're putting a me filter over the, uh, over whatever it is we're talking about. Let's compare some, uh, some sentences to really uh, understand what on earth I'm going on about here, what on earth I'm talking about here. Okay, so um, let's look at the sentences. You're not allowed to do that. No modal. You're not allowed to do that. And you can't do that. So these could basically be describing the same situation. So let's let's look at an example. Um, smoking on the bus, not unless you live in the 1970s, where basically everyone smoked everywhere and it was almost obligatory to smoke all the time, wherever you were. So uh, thankfully, we live in a much cleaner, healthier and less smelly times. Um, you're not allowed to smoke on the bus. You can't smoke on the bus. They both talk about the same, the same situation, but the deal is different a little bit. Um, you're not allowed to. This is an object more objective. This is just the, you're describing the state of things. Um, this is the rules. You know, that's what you're not saying anything personal. But if you say you can't smoke on the bus, it's like this is this could be interpreted as you know. I think it's not okay. Um, and even if you're talking about something that's an external rule, by using the modal, you are producing a sort of hint of like, um, I see it like this. Because, you know, technically you can smoke on the bus. Um, so when you're saying you can't do it, you can't smoke on the bus, there's a sort of personal angle. Let's look at another example. Um, you have to leave and you must leave and you should leave. Um but have to and must, these are, these are really like interesting uh, differences. You have to leave. This is like an external rule. Again, like that you're not allowed to smoke. You have to leave. Um, this is the authorities are, are, have decided and you have no choice. You must leave. Completely different. It's, it's, I think it's a good idea that you leave. You must leave. Um, it, it's a personal um persuasion you're persuading somebody personally um yes yeah, so yeah like i said when we're expressing ourselves in modals we're making it more about us it gives us a personal angle um so when grand uh, charlie and grandpa are floating in the air we got the no time and 
that's not associated with time. When they're back on the ground, we have clear uh, fact-driven uh, orientation of, of reality uh, with, with tenses, and we can u- manipulate them and use them. But we can also express, we can give little hints of our personal ideas. Uh, another example, I was able to get out versus I could get out. Again, they're both describing the same situation, but I could makes it feel more personal, makes it feel like this is my, my own angle on something. And I've, I'm going I'm to kind of finish on a slightly negative note. I'm going to complain. I like complaining sometimes. I think we all do. Um, and um, it's basically when you're... Have you ever had this situation when, I don't know, you're, um, uh, you're dealing with some sort of authority? Like, let's imagine it's like the, the, the local council, you know, the local government, and you need to get some paperwork sorted out. Um, let's say you want you have to pay your your council tax this is something that happens in england everyone has to pay this tax that everybody hates called uh, the council tax and um you go to the office and you're late to pay the council tax and you you go to the office and you say okay uh, what's happening now you need to know what your position is um will i get fined if will i get charged uh, extra if i if i pay the council tax next week which is going to be three weeks late or will it be okay and so you ask this question you go to the the person who's working at the town council and you say okay i i can't pay my council council tax this week i can pay it next week it's already late will i be fined you know you just want a simple answer there are rules and you want to know what the rules are um and sometimes they might say something well you should pay it as soon as possible okay now this is really interesting right because in this situation they're not really giving you your answer. They're, they're telling them what they think uh, the right thing to do is by using the word should. It's a, mo- it's a modal. You should pay it as soon as possible. Even if they say you must pay it as soon as possible, they're still not answering the question clearly. Um, you have to pay it as soon as possible. That might make more sense. So <laughs> this is when I... I I can be a bit uh, difficult with these people and uh, tell them that according to basic linguistic theory, the use of the word should is introducing their own personal ideas into something that shouldn't be there because I'm using should too, because this is a technical issue. This is something I just need to know a technical answer to. Um, So you might want to try that because I think this might have happened. uh, This happens to people a lot uh, that they're trying to get an answer from some sort of authority and the person chips in with their own personal idea and their own personal opinion about uh, the situation. When you don't need that, you just need to know what the rules are. So, um, yeah, why not try that? Why not say, aha, you used a modal there and a modal mm, that's actually there for for personal use not for technical and official use like this i don't know maybe i'm just being too negative here but it is quite fun what's the point in being a linguist if you can't say things like that right okay (laughs) so there we have it there we have it that's the three states we got charlie and grand granddad floating in the air disconnected so we got sentences like uh, come on get out or the story in the story she meets at least four vampires or please or thank you things disconnected the no time the no time time Uh, we've also got charlie and granddad firmly on the ground and we can use the different tenses really to indicate times but also to indicate how we feel about things what our perception of these things are 
And finally, if we want to say, this is just me, this is just coming from my, my point of view, this is not necessarily reflecting reality, we can use modals like can and should and must. And yeah, that's it. The three states, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, uh, English verbs through Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. And I hope uh, that was some food for thought. I know this is quite unconventional. This is what uh, some people call a hot take. So I'm not necessarily saying that this is the only way to look at verbs. It certainly isn't. And I'm not saying that... Um, this perception works all the time either but it does work a lot of the time and you can see uh, how how we use language and get a newer idea on how we use language and if you're a learner or a teacher of English I think thinking about how we use tenses like in different ways like this can be very very useful so I'm going to finish by asking you what you think um do you look at language like this? Do you think about English tenses like this? Are there other ways that you, you consider tenses? Everyone's got their own ideas about things. Um, I would love to hear any other ideas about this. So if you have any, if you have any thoughts about different ways of looking at verbs and different ways of talking about different times and whether we should be very technical and mathematical or whether we should be more expressive um, when we're teaching our students or when we're learning as English learners let me know send me an email uh, it's gabriel at clarkandmiller.com meanwhile that was a total pleasure thanks for letting me rant away um, and I'm looking forward to talking at you again in two weeks but ciao for now